Hey, what's up? So as you probably know, over on patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks, we have uh, premium episodes that for $5 a month you get access to. So in addition to the free ones that come in the main podcast, there's also a bonus episode podcast feed that you can get over on patreon.com. So this is a preview and... We're trying something different where we're trying to do occasionally different types of podcast episodes over on the bonus feed on Patreon that we don't normally do on this one. So it's like instead of just having the same type of episodes free and paid, we're trying to give it an actual different feel occasionally over on the Patreon. So... This is the first of what will hopefully become a regular thing where we just have like a really deep dive with one guest and we uh, just pick a topic. And we did another one with Jake Flores where we just talked about um, arts comedy and Gavin McGinnis. But this one that you're getting a preview of is... Myself and uh, Teen Sheng from Escape from Plan A podcast, where we talk about Carl Jung and this Korean movie called Burning. And we use the movie Burning to go into a bunch of themes brought up by Carl Jung, Joseph Campbell, and different Eastern thinkers and Western psychologists to you know, discuss certain issues that repeatedly come up in movies and have to do with Carl Jung. So it's a pretty interesting episode, and it's different than what you would normally hear on a Champagne Sharks episode, and it's about two hours long. Same with the Jake Flores one. And check it out. Give it a shot. Let us know what you think. If you want to hear more of them, if you want that to be a regular thing. And here is the first 30 minutes of the Teen Sheng episode. Enjoy. Hey, what's going on, Champagne Sharks? We're going to do something a little different today. Uh, going to talk movies, talking about the movie. Actually, let me introduce myself. This is Trevor. You can find me on Twitter at Ricky Rawls. Um, donate to the show, patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks. I took a pause because there's like a weird bug. I'm just trying to figure out like what it is. But you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it live. <laughs> uh, we, we have with us Teen from Escape from Plan A. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, just uh, remind the people because I try to treat every episode like it's somebody's first. So just uh, remind the people uh, who you are and where they can find you and what you're about. Yeah, fellow uh, fellow podcaster, I'd say. Um, we, uh, Me and a couple others, we run a, um, an Asian-American focused uh, podcast. Um, as well as like a sort of online publication at planamag.com. 
So that's, uh, and the attendant podcast is called Escape from Plan A. Very cool. Very cool. I recommend it often to people. Thanks. Good to check out. Yeah. And it, the two of us went to see a movie called Burning by, how do you pronounce his name? Harumi Mira, Murakami? Oh, oh, Murakami. You mean the guy, the, the, the author who wrote the story? Yes. Yeah. I think it's like Haruki. Haruki Murakami. Oh, Haruki Murakami. But he wrote the original story and the movies by who? I forget who the movie uh, It's It's really famous uh, Korean director whose name is uh, uh, Lee Chang-dong. And I, I don't think he's going to be that familiar to Americans. Like he didn't, he's not like, you know, he, he doesn't have like an old boy or anything like that. I don't think. Um, but he's like super, he's like a really well-respected director in, in Korea, sort of, sort of seen as like, uh, I don't know, uh, their Kubrick or something like that. I don't know. Well, I will say from looking him up after the movie, he seems to be someone that a lot of American cinephiles are into. People oh, really? Who are, people who are into um, cinema. Cinema. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Fine film. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Are, yeah. are into him. But, but you're right. He doesn't seem to have a crossover hit like uh, Old Boy where like, you know, just regular Joes just know the, know the movie in America. Yeah. 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 But one thing I'll say, one thing I'm glad that I did, and I think you did too, was I read the... Um, Murakami story after mm. and I'm kind of glad I did because I was going to give way too much credit to the story and the story is actually uh, kind of bare bones the movie adds a lot I think to it it's it's very significantly different I would say yeah and like it was funny because like I, I actually didn't really like the movie until after we got out of the theater and you started kind of explaining it to me because uh, I as I was watching it I was like what the hell is going on in this movie <laughs> <laughs> uh, it wasn't until we had this conversation after the movie, which I think we were—I was—we were both in a rush, so I couldn't really complete that, you know, your your take on it. So I was like, "Yeah, I really want to get on this pod with you about this movie because I basically want to hear the rest of that conversation because <laughs> you were explaining it in a way that I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense." Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting because it's funny being that I read uh, a lot of psychology and Eastern spirituality a lot. So to me, when I was watching it, I was like, this is kind of heavy handed. Like, I thought it was uh, being a little bit mm -hmm. too on the nose, but I was really enjoying it. Yeah. But, but also, um, because I had seen, I, I told you this, what's funny is the movie theater was right next to my therapist. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I had a session with my therapist that was exactly, exactly, exactly on the nose with the themes yeah. in this in this movie. Like, you know, and, the intent, it was so clear that the intention of the director seemed to just be apparent to you. Yeah, kind but of, it's kind of how it yeah, works. Yeah, but I just think um, in retrospect, I was just very attuned. I don't think it was as on the nose as I thought. I just mm. happened to be in a very attuned state. Like I was uh, kind of like an antenna that was ready to really... Uh, um, so it was the perfect time to see the movie then? Like yeah, that particular I think so. moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and you're and you're a very um, bright, astute guy. So when you missed a lot of it, it kind of made me realize. Okay, so it's not really out there as much on the surface. Um, yeah, I was not having the same experience as you. I was watching it very confused. I mean, I enjoyed watching it the same way I would kind of enjoy watching like a David Lynch movie. Yeah, um, like I was just kind of you know you don't know what to expect, right? So you're kind of like willing to keep watching. But as time goes on, you get tired because you're real, like, I don't think there's going to be a payoff where everything's going to come together for me. So I left feeling like, okay, I liked watching it, but I have no idea whether that was worth two hours of my time. 
And then you were explaining it to me, and I was like, oh, yeah, okay, this is definitely worth two hours of my time. <laughs> well, well, okay, how about this? How about uh, you um, explain um, the movie to uh, people? Like, yeah, I mean, like, we'll, like we'll do- as, as you saw, like, like, explain, like, a plot synopsis. If you had to give a plot synopsis um, yeah. to the movie. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting. I don't think, I don't think there is a risk of, like... I mean, some people just don't like spoilers, but I, I don't think this movie can really be spoiled. You know what I mean? It's not. Oh, maybe it can. Yeah, I don't so, think so. Uh, I don't think so either. But I, I think it's definitely better to have seen the movie before the podcast. But yeah, yeah. I think I think you'd enjoy it without it because I think the themes of it are kind of universal. I think it goes into a lot of stuff. Yeah. So it's yeah, a pretty yeah, but- it's a pretty simple story, right? I mean, there is a plot, and there's this young there's this young guy. Um, and he's in, you know, this all takes place in Korea, in Seoul. And he runs into um, a girl sort of from his past, from his childhood. And uh, they kind of begin uh, a sort of like half-assed romance. Like, it's one of those things where they get, you know, they're hooking up and stuff and they're, they're spending time with each other. But they're, it's both really, it's really half-assed and kind of clumsy. And then she kind of goes on a trip to Kenya or something like that. Comes back with um, a, a friend, another guy that she met. Um, who was also from Korea, so they got close because of that. And that's Steven Yun's character, Ben, right? And it just becomes like this movie where the three of them, uh, the girl's name is Hamey, is spending a lot of time with Ben, kind of like a couple almost. And his life, Jongsu, the main character, just sort of like intersects, he kind of goes in and out of this sort of love triangle thing that's going on, though it's everything's like super uh, ambiguous, you know? Um, and that's pretty much it, right? Like there, there, I guess there is, we can talk about the specifics, but that's pretty much the, what I was seeing. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. And it is kind of directionless and floating around and yeah. kind of just, he's looking for something, but he's kind of lifeless. His whole, his whole body language is kind of just languid. He's, he's depressing. Yeah, uh, he's, yeah, he's just depressing as fuck, right? Like, yeah, yeah, he, he's depressing and depressed. He's just, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He's like not beyond hope. It's yeah. he's not to the point of beyond hope, but he's definitely, yeah, he's got he's got some issues. But Stephen Yun's totally like not that way, right? He's like super cool. Yeah, yeah, Stephen uh, Yun is super cool, and he's also. But it's weird because you get an impression that they're kind of similar, even though they're not. I mean, at least I did, because there was a lot of frames where they're kind of across from each other, or they kind of like we say he's ho- he's not hopeless. I mean, you kind of see that he has interest. Yeah. He reads things like, uh, is it Faulkner that he reads? Yeah, yeah. Who wrote the Who wrote the original story called Barn Burning, which yeah. I, I think is is what Murakami named his story after. So Faulkner is. It's all a reference to Faulkner, but um, I, I would I think it's important to add like it's not as if these two are just competing for this girl. They have their own sort of thing going on. The 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 Jongsu and Ben, some sort of mutual sort of weird understanding or or conflict. That yeah, it's not quite a rivalry. Yeah, it's not quite yeah. a rivalry, but it's not quite a friendship. It's a and, and it's ambiguity a, yeah. is yeah yeah. There's something fluid about it too. Yeah. In a way, it's almost like, I feel like in some ways, they're almost more interested in each other than the girl. Like the girl's almost just, like, Jiangsu does say that he loves the girl, but he also seems to be almost more into the competition with Ben than yeah. he is into, um... That scene was really funny. I, re- I actually, I feel okay watching bootleg copies of a movie if I actually paid for the ticket, you know? Like, yeah. And I was like, I gotta watch it a second time, because after you sort of laid out this, it, which we haven't gotten into yet, but after yeah. you kind of laid out the, um... The thing I rewatched it, and he says, and I think it's kind of important to the movie. He sort of admits to Ben, Jong Su admits to Steven Yun to Ben 
that he accidentally told Hamie that he loves her. And he said it with horror. He was like, I can't believe I told her that, you know, and, and uh, he, he sort of admits it to him like I fucked up. Uh, and when we get into it, I thought, I think that was a really funny detail that kind of played into it. And that's very interesting. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember him, um, doing that either telling her he loved her or admitting it with horror to, uh, Ben. So it was like when they first smoke weed, uh, over at his house, like over at Jung Su's dad's house. And he's, he's just telling, for some reason, he just starts like bearing his soul to him and all this stuff. And then he tells him, oh my God, I told her I loved her. Uh, and he said, he says it with horror. Like he's, 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 he's ashamed of himself for having said it. Oh, interesting. See, I remember it differently. I thought he told Ben that he loved her and then Ben kind of didn't react. And then he mm -hmm. was like, don't you have any reaction? Like I told you that, that I loved her mm -hmm. and you're just kind of sitting there like unmoved. Like, you know, I guess mm -hmm. you wanted something from the guy to like, either say like, um, I love her too, or no, I'm getting out of the way. But the, am I remembering it wrong? I think you might, twice. it might've happened at a different part, but that, but the moment where he first mentioned it, um, it was like, he's high. And then he's sort of, I guess, in, you know, when you get, you know, he's in that stoned sort of, uh, introspective mood and he's kind of re reviewing the things that have happened in the past, you know, several weeks or whatever and he just like admits to him he's like i told her i loved her like and he's just mm. he's just really scared of the fact that he said that you know got it got yeah. it well what we were talking about right this is what kind of what happens in the movie and it's hard to discuss what it's about without kind of spoiling it so what basically happens is um he she goes overseas she goes to kenya she comes back with this guy and this guy is just has no rough edges he's just a seamless guy he's just perfectly cool and he can kind of feel himself um losing her to him even though they never really had anything and it's kind of like his fixation with this guy and his fear of losing her almost kind of makes him start getting his um life together in a way like he kind of i think it's fair to say he kind of regains a life right like he kind of starts because before he's not really doing much of anything but he starts taking his father's court case more seriously he um reconnects with his mother yeah reconnects with his mother yeah. he and gets a girlfriend so you know apparently right like he's yeah kind of in a relationship and yeah yeah and what he the movie ends with um him killing um ben and when i was watching it right i was pretty much waiting for him to uh, do something along those lines the reason i was doing that was because i kind of had seen the arc that the movie was going toward in that i took the movie as and this is like something that you found plausible too after i explained it to you i saw the movie as this was an internal uh struggle in his mind and these people were all like constructs they were all um parts of him and what it was was that these people were um it was like a a Jungian like Carl Jung it was a it was a Jungian journey and like the hero's journey by Joseph Campbell which is like very well known they put it in all these Star Wars. movies yes yeah, Star Wars all yeah. these things but it's it's I mean that's the most famous iteration of it but it's pretty much something that's um the themes of it are common everywhere uh star wars is like the first movie to consciously try to use it as a blueprint as opposed to doing it unconsciously because right. young believed in something called the collective unconscious and he just believed that uh we had this kind of collective unconscious where there's things that resonate with all of us so like it's a, like, like a universal kind of uh Thing. yes like yes everyone has it yes so so like you can see some old um chinese chinese legends like like there was one i forget what it's called it's an epic novel and i read the uh manga version of the novel i think the manga version was called like kingdom or something but it's just basically this huge sprawling uh, historical epic 
But if you look at that and then compare it to um, something like the Odyssey, with a journey that um, Odysseus has, mm. um, has a lot. Oh, of you're same talking things. about like Romance of the Three Kingdoms. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 You, you, you know, like a call to adventure, refusal, mm -hmm. a super, a supernatural um, aid, the helpers. Uh, same with the um, what's it called? The the Monkey King. You know, it's the same. There's all the same yeah, thing. He, journey he to the West. Yeah. Yeah. Journey to the West. He has companions that go with him. He has a mm -hmm. supernatural aid, the one that gives him the staff in the cloud. Like, mm -hmm. um, these things are universal. Young's idea was that uh, these things kind of speak to everybody. That's why, like, a movie like Star Wars will tend to do very well all over you don't need to be culturally steeped for right. it to automatically um I res resonate with you he it's a story we'll, we're all gonna be able to comprehend and yes uh, it has the same meaning to all of us it has the same meaning to all of us and it taps into mm. a lot of our similar primal urges our primal fears our you know so it's biological it's not it's not he's saying it's biological it's not a, a, a function of your society or, or culture that kind of thing well, you know something? It's kind of funny. It could be considered... I mean, Young was kind of into like some kind of mysticism, so I'm not really sure if he believed it was biological, like it was genetics, or if he believed like it was something that was in oh, the I air see. that we all tapped into. Got I it. honestly um, don't know, but I do know that he was open to the idea of... Um, it may not matter. Things. Yeah, 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 ex exactly. Mm -hmm. I don't think it really yeah. matters. What matters is just uh, that we all kind of... Um, share it so like mm. joseph campbell was big into young so joseph campbell used young's um ideas uh to help because what young uh came up with was the concept of an archetype an archetype is just like um this kind of general figure uh that you know like the what's a good way to describe an archetype an, an archetype is like the wise is like a, is it like a widespread pattern of a personality or or some kind of like a personality that we often see that kind of thing yeah exactly it's it's something that kind of um it's not similar it's not that different than like um a trope it's like a modern after which it's like a, a model after which um other things are models it's like a symbol it's like a mm -hmm. it's like a symbol that rises out of the collective um unconsciousness and mm -hmm. appears in dreams mythologies and fairy tales so it's like oh, um so it's like say like the madonna and the whore those would be like two um you know mm -hmm. archetypes and then you'll keep seeing them over and over again a femme fatale is like an archetype mm. um okay so uh, it's something that we're perceiving it's not necessarily something that is is actually describing like accurately describing people but it's how we tend to see other people like we'll see the femme fatale or we'll interpret them that way or we'll see the yeah yeah it, uh what it is is um it's like a typical character that's the best way to put it a typical mm -hmm. character something that comes up over and over again like a universal uh symbol so for example a hero is an archetype like you right. know something like very um general then you can like um get into more specific types of heroes like the byronic hero the uh the superhero the like, like for example um batman will be like uh a dark hero uh superman would be like a light hero you, you can you can like um break it down the the, the doppelganger is an, is an archetype like in a lot of uh movies and tv shows there'll be different kinds of doubles yeah like, like all like liter like all the literature and stuff that we're taught it's like all the characters are really just archetypes right like yeah they, yeah they represent an archetype or something 
Yeah, exactly. There's something that makes it easy to kind of jump in. Like, you know, sometimes when you watch a certain type of movie and you kind of are able to just pick up right away, Um, you know, like the, you know, who's going to hook up together? Like, yeah, this like, is the, lead, yeah. the leading man. This is his uh, leading lady. They're going to yeah. fall in love halfway through. Yeah. He's a, the sidekick is an archetype. Like, you know, things yeah. things like that. Um, But what's the term for, like, magical Negro? Is that is that a trope or an archetype? Because that seems to me like a trope, right? Or is that... That's a good question. Like, a trope, it's so mad a trope, I guess I would say, is, like, a story archetype. Because, like, you know, archetypes are usually thought of, like, you know, uh, in terms of, like, people, like, characters. And I would say a trope is an archetype that um applied to a story story you know so magical negro can be both like a character archetype but also a trope like you know a story archetype mm -hmm. You know, like, um, for, for example, um, there's 12 different archetypes that some authors have attributed to Young, but they're pretty much limitless because they're up to how many you can spot. So, uh, but the 12 major ones are like the innocent, the orphan slash regular guy, the hero, the caregiver, the explorer, the rebel, the lover, the creator, the jester, the sage, the trickster, the magician, the ruler. That's an example, but people can kind of um, come up with a whole bunch. Like, uh, mm. he has the wise old man the child the mother the maiden um those i think are the main ones that um that young came up with then there was a but different people have um tried to come up with their own or redefine so like campbell tried to do the same thing but with he tried to take the archetypes and then see if he can come up with universal stories like if young came up with universal figures campbell tried to come up with universal stories using archetypes you mm -hmm. know mm -hmm. so what are the universal stories and uh he came up with the with the hero's journey you know so it's a it's a but what that really was was the mistake they did in the west was they tried to kind of make it into like these 12 steps that you have to follow but what campbell was actually doing was doing an average he didn't say every single mm -hmm. story had to hit every note he just took a whole bunch and then just averaged them together and said you know these are like the 12 steps that um you know tend to pop up the most but every story doesn't necessarily have to have all those steps they might have like eight of them or whatever and what started happening was people started taking the full um 12 steps that were kind of you know dumbed down by this guy uh christopher vogler and just started using it as a really strict template that everybody had to follow and you had to do like um all all 12 you know but but like for example this is a guy named christopher booker he wrote a book called seven basic plots and he created like seven um basic plot archetypes that he claims underlie all stories so he says these are the seven that he came up with right um overcoming the monster rags to riches the quest voyage and return comedy tragedy and rebirth and then he um aligned them with young's um archetypes but yeah yeah i mean just to give an idea this basically comes down to like symbols um and it's something like the, the or genres like the genre of like the the, the 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 base genres or something like that yeah yeah and the point of all this to bring it back to uh burning the point of all this is that by using these universal archetypes and universal stories it's supposed to be a way to kind of um understand yourself because now someone else's journey can kind of help you reflect on your on your own like you know you have to find your own kind of um hero's journey you have mm -hmm. to find your own um so basically what you, you can get your your current life coordinates mapped to some story and oh, oh i'm in this stage of the story 
story or something like that. Yeah, and and this is what's really interesting. Uh, I don't know if you know this. That is interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what's his name? Jordan Peterson. Yeah. He's a big Young and Campbell guy, and a lot of people when they critique him, they don't really think of him or don't really dwell on that part of him. Yeah. But he kind of hacks and taps into that. That's why so many young men are so fixated with him. Mm -hmm. He he's a straight up young guy. Like he actually has decent videos about young. Like if you go on YouTube and watch him talk about Young and Campbell. Mm -hmm. He um knows a lot of stuff. He just totally misapplies it to these terrible um, <laughs> retrograde. You know, you know, like, well, he's a psychology professor, I think, right? So he, he uh, yeah, at the minimum, he would be convert, like you know, yeah, and an actual therapist. Yeah, yeah, but he just kind of uses it to make these unsupported jumps, like you know, that's why women shouldn't um wear be, be wearing makeup and stuff <laughs> like that, like like. Right. Like, uh, and it's what kind of makes him like scary because he says that a lot of the young and Campbell stuff is very compelling. Like, you know, you have to have like a mission. You have to, as a young man, you have to kind of uh, have a goal that you're going to. Like, he's talking to the Jung Zoos of the world, you know, but. Um, he, Jordan Peterson to me often seems to be having some sort of like very public, like internal fight or some kind of. He's working something out for himself in public and uh, <laughs> kind of projecting. Oh, it's, for sure. Again, yeah, he's like struggling but, 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 with something. Yeah, but everything you're talking about is exactly what like a hero's journey or a Jungian uh, journey. What Jung called it was um, individuation. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. He called it individual. Yeah. yeah, individuation is where you're trying to take the fragmented parts of yourself and kind of integrate them into a whole, and then you become like an individual, a self-actualized uh, person. Like uh, mm -hmm. so, uh, that archetype. I believe the archetype of the self-actualized person he called it the wise old man so you become the wise old man you know um and that's the person who has integrated their shadow side integrated their um anima or animus and mm -hmm. and they become a complete person and you turn into like gandalf yeah basically yeah yeah exa exactly yeah. that's another story that has like a lot of those same um those same beats well so the movie burning when i was watching it i was watching it and i'm like wow this is like a kind of highbrow um hero's journey jungian thing and the way that i took it was like the ego or the persona is uh jung su mm -hmm. where he's the persona is like the face that you present to the world that's that's the conform that's the conformist face that's when actually you know it's a good way to put it is um fight club has the exact same thing going on if you look at fight club uh edward norton's character is the conformist he got by just stuff out of ikea like that's his persona he has like the he's very repressed. mask yeah very repressed and the mask that he wears is the conformist mask it's um very un un uh, controversial and that's what jung su is like like jung su is like uh, edward norton's character in fight club but he's very like the out of touch with something right like yeah there's clearly yeah. something going on in in him but he is just like has no idea what it is and it's just like a generalized feeling of dissatisfaction or something like that yeah and because he spends so much time uh being what he should be to other people he's become totally out of touch with who he is and that's one of the ironies like when people talk about true self false self people just think of the false self as being like a lie but a lie requires you to know the truth like like you mm -hmm. can't mm -hmm. lie without knowing the truth so most people aren't actually lying with their false self what they're doing is bullshitting bullshitting is when you're just trying to convince somebody of something but you have no regard to whether it's actually true or not all you care about is just presenting that it's like a it's, it's like a highly motivated identity where it's like it there's a 
mo- motivated in the sense that it has a certain goal, which is to get along or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, right. exactly. That, that's all that really matters. Like, yeah, if I so, can get results, if I can get along, then it's fine. Yeah, if I can get along, it's fine. So if I'm telling you what it takes for us to get along and it works, it doesn't really matter to me if what I said is even true or false uh, to me. It just matters that it worked and right, I'll just keep right. doing it. Right. If it ends up being true, then all the better. That's a bonus, you know, but if it does, if, what I say ends up not being true, you know, so be it. I don't, I don't really care, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, whereas, a uh, a lie is different. Like, you know, a lie, you have to know to be able to lie, like, like to be able to lie is like, I'm going to knowingly, I'm going to knowingly say something that's not true right. to do that. I have to constantly be aware of what's true. So in a way, like, um, a liar is more committed to the truth than a bullshitter, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of what, um, conformity when conformity is just about trying to um get along with people you're pretty much a bullshitter you know what i mean you're just Mm -hmm. um so what happens is you end up losing track of what is true and what's not and oh okay yeah 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 that's what you mean by committed to truth like you're not even tracking truth anymore i think exactly yeah exactly you don't think of it things in terms of true and false anymore exactly and even if you did try uh. at, at some point you're gonna lose track of it because when you just keep bullshitting because because when you're bullshitting all you're trying to do is say and do whatever it takes yeah that, to get yeah. that result you want that's what i mean by motivated the, the key yeah. is that you have some sort of um you have a goal or something and uh, you just pursue the goal that's it Say, say, for example, here's another example, right? Say, like, I'm trying to keep Anne Frank from the Nazis. Mm-hmm. If I try to keep Anne Frank from the Nazis, right, I have to know where she is at any given moment in the house so that the Nazis come. Um, when I lie to them, you know, like, like to yeah. lie, I have to constantly direct them to a room that she's not in. Mm. So in that case, I'm a committed liar. Every mm-hmm. time the Nazis come, I'm like, okay, where is she? She's in the attic? Okay, I'm going to direct them to the uh, basement. You, right. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Whereas if you're, if you're like, a bullshitter you know mm-hmm. you just want to say like when the nazis come all you want to do is just show the nazis that you're not stupid like you know hey i want to i want them to show that um i'm a good team player they're gonna be like hey where's Anne frank you're gonna be like um i think she was um hold on i left the i left the oven on then you run inside <laughs> right, right, right. and you're just looking around and then you're like um damn, i don't know where she is let me just say she's she left the house so you know i can get into you're, you're too you're, they're scared to lie in that case right like they're yeah. scared they're scared they're scared to make either a statement that they know is true or untrue yeah yeah because because all they care about is just what this other person thinks about them right you know and that's kind of like what conformity is like conformity is just like i just care what other people think about me so i don't care what's true i don't care if this is um fulfilling me or not fulfilling me i don't care um about whatever so then over the course of that you lose the truth of yourself mm-hmm. yes okay yeah you I can, lose, this is yeah. these are hard these are subtle things that you're saying that i that I, I was picking up on when you were talking about it but um it makes sense it does make i kind of understand what you're saying because i think probably most people have lost some sense of themselves like in that way it is it a, it's a matter of uh, degree i would say right but yeah it's a, it's everyone's got to be pretty pretty in denial about some or or unaware of 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 some part of themselves yeah exactly exactly the more you repress yourself see that part that you're unaware of that's what young called um the shadow um and for example that's what um george lucas made into the dark side of the force you know like uh that part that you repress kind of gets his own life and then uh you know it takes over you that was like like uh, uh anakin's battle and and luke's battle but mm-hmm. 
Um, so the part of yourself that you kind of lose touch of, like that truth that you kind of uh, lose track of from bullshitting so much, kind of gets its own um, life. And the more repression you have, the bigger the shadow self becomes. So in Fight Club, that guy was so repressed that the shadow side grew strong enough to become a full-blown split personality. Mm. And and in Burning, the way I took it was that uh, Ben was the shadow. Uh, ben, oh. ben, was, ben was his shadow. Like in both cases, the shadow is all the parts of you that you kind of disown like um and this is something we talked about after the movie but um karen hornet um a lot of different people both you know buddhist um different eastern spiritualities different schools of psychology believe in the idea of a true self and a false self and the thing that I think is uh, very tricky is that a lot of people think that the person knows the difference between the, the false self and the true self. And what I was trying to tell you before is actually a lot of people don't actually know what the true self is. Like they have a false self, but their true self is actually atrophied because they've spent no time trying to think um, what's true at all. They're so it's like sometimes you just have a false self and then just a withered, decrepit uh, true self. And I think that's what... Um, Jung Soo kind of had like he doesn't even know what his true self is he's just been conforming and getting by so long and what Horne said that was interesting is that she posited two false selves like there's one false self is the idealized false self that's like the false self that's like a rock star like everything that you wish you could be like you know but um, do you actually think that you're are there, are there this is what I was wondering yeah are there times where you're convinced that that's actually what you are and you're just you're just being a douchebag and you think you're something that's oh. so much better than what you really are or uh sure well, well, well th this is what Hornet said Hornet said there's two things there's the idealized false self and then there's the despised false self but neither of them is really you but you spend so much time uh trying to commit yourself you're one or the other or trying to run away from one toward the other that you spend no time developing or getting in touch with your true self but what happens is and this is to answer your question um if you're a narcissist a narcissist tends to try to disown and project the despised false self they're like i'm not gonna let myself access to that part of me okay, at all yeah i'm deadly afraid of being that and they try to over identify with um the idealized false self so to answer your question for a narcissist or a borderline or some other personality disordered person along um that cluster they are the kinds that will um over identify and think that think that that i that idealized false self is them whereas like a codependent or a neurotic or that type of person mm -hmm. will over identify with the despised false self mm -hmm. and, and project the idealized false self into others or are, just own that that'll are, be are, their shadow or bipolar people then those who like flip-flop between the two or something or um see bipolar is kind of tough because i don't know much about bipolar so i don't want to uh, speculate a whole on different it. kettle of fish then we'll just well well, that. Well, yeah. well this is the thing with bipolars right mm -hmm. um bipolar is considered like more like a chemical kind of thing so i think with bipolar it's not treated so much as just a personality disorder i think oh. bipolar uh people well, like, for example, this is one thing I know, borderline personalities and bipolar personalities kind of present very similar. And sometimes a lot of 
people who are bipolar actually do have borderline personality disorder. Sometimes it's a misdiagnosis, but I know one difference is a lot of people say that drugs won't work on the border on the borderline because it's a lot of uh, screwed up belief systems and thought processes. Whereas the bipolar supposedly has a chemical imbalance that the drugs will treat. So a lot of people who are bipolar who the drugs aren't helping, people speculate is because they um, are being misdiagnosed. They're actually borderlines being misdiagnosed as bipolar and being given um so see so bipolar I don't know much that much about it. I don't want to speculate on that much because I believe there's uh, more of a, the conventional wisdom is there's like a chemical condition behind it. Whereas I think of the other personality disorders as more as the formation of some kind of, it's a maladaptive strategy that came out of some kind of trauma. Like at some point in your development, you were kind of taught that the real you wasn't good enough. And you had to adopt this kind of false self to navigate the world with. And if you were a codependent, something in your life taught you that being this people pleaser or this codependent was your way to navigate the world. Like, you know, you're making me think of that movie. Um, Catch me if you can. Yeah. You're making me think of that sort of you can you can just sort of create this sort of imaginary, completely false persona uh, and actually live it. You can actually be that thing. I mean, it makes sense because because I think most con artists do are on the narcissistic spectrum. Like, I think you kind of have to be. You have to be on that to be able to. I mean, all narcissists are basically con artists. They're they're, they're compulsive. Uh, the fake it till you make it kind of thing. Where, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Can be if as so long as you can mentally image it, you can be it. Like the power of positive thinking that 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 line of thought where yeah yeah but, but but the problem is you can't really do it forever so like what happens is like these kind of people like the the bipolar is not totally different and like the bipolar goes from the manic state to a depressive state like they do kind of go between you know those two types of false selves i mm-hmm. just don't really fully understand it as well because i you know haven't really read that much about it I, though i would say having watched the film a second time mm-hmm. i i definitely do believe believe that it there's a very it's it, that's very much what the movie is where where Ben is pretty much um a mental construct and there's a lot of clues in it that he's not real like he 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 speaks sometimes cryptically about that fact yeah he says like I'm always it's like things are close like I'm closer than you think and he says stuff like you know I'm in two places at once all the time um and then there's just these hints you know that part where she's like pantomiming eating a magic fake tangerine yeah which is in the original story as well I think even the original story I think hints at him being potentially apocryphal and not not real yeah Yeah. the original story is much more uh subtle i think like yeah yeah yeah, i'm not sure i could have totally um grasped all this stuff from the um original story but in the uh movie it's a lot more uh i guess because it's longer too and you get more immersed into it but i do know from reading murakami he totally is into uh young the shadow and joseph campbell he's that's totally in his wheel house he's on like record as being very big into that stuff right Um, but yeah 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 i saw this thing yeah i i didn't know that about him um but i guess it's almost like a there's it almost seems like this this interest in Jung really generates a lot of output from people. Oh yeah, you it, know? It, it, it does because you kind of start, it, it makes a lot of things make sense. And when you have that framework, I think it's easy to work uh, within that framework. The problem is some people let it become too um, restrictive. And then what happens is it kind of divorces you from yourself because now it's not a way to tap into your, you know, your inner true self. It just becomes like a rote type of template. Like, like yeah, this yeah. story felt like personal, like it felt like somebody 
Spidey was trying. Same thing with Star Wars. Like Star Wars, I think felt personal. He was taking Young, and he had Lucas had a personal passion for that, and it kind of uh, showed in the final product. Whereas, like you know, some people just kind of just say, okay, here's the twelve steps. Uh, there's this guy called Christopher Vogler, right? Christopher Vogler. Um, this is the story how it goes. He was like some kind of screenwriter or some kind of uh, Hollywood exec, and after Star Wars, he got into like Joseph Campbell, and he he came up with a way to distill it into 12 easy steps and you know he uh made this very dumbed down version of the hero's journey and he did a memo this is i don't know if the story is true but it's a story everybody goes by he's like a, he became a screenwriting guru i think and he wrote a book called the writer's journey but he made like a one-page memo that boiled down the whole young um library because it was a sprawling theory over a ton of books and the hero of a thousand faces and whatever and boiled it down to a single sheet of like 12 steps and the story goes he left it in a xerox machine and it disappeared and it supposedly ended up popping up in studios all over hollywood and it became like the new template to do everything so if now if you watch uh, a lot it's of like movies original coke recipe now that kind of yeah kind of like that's the secret that's the secret ingredient list or whatever of hollywood yeah and now if you look at a lot of movies they just robotically follow um this kind of chosen one hero's journey and a lot of it just feels unearned like the person just wins because they're supposed to win like the person would be like a douchebag the whole movie and they're just the chosen one and then they end up oh yeah i think we had um I think there there might have been hints of that in like uh, the hate you give. I think when we looked talked about that movie, there were elements that were weren't they sort of they seemed to be like in there just to meet the twelve steps. Yeah, yeah, like like that was a perfect like a scavenge like a scavenger hunt kind of thing where we gotta we gotta we gotta hit all of them. Yeah, exactly. This is when yeah. we're gonna do this. Yeah, yeah. Whereas a lot of movies can have that, but if it feels organic, you're not even like no, noticing it. It's like the difference between just dancing and counting the steps when you mm -hmm. dance. Like, like, you know, a lot of movies feel like you're counting the steps. Yeah, because you would think that the most authentic expression of it would be one where the person was not aware that someone had figured this out already. Exactly. And, and you wrote a story that would um, tap into it, almost tap into it because it would be part of something that because clearly all the stories that led Campbell to identify this sort of average thing. They were written pre-Campbell, right? So they yeah, exactly. must have been written in a way that tapped into it authentically because they didn't have a Campbell uh, exegesis of it first before and, they could. And they were written by cultures that had like no contact with each other, like you yeah, know. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's what um, Campbell called the collective uh, unconscious. Like you know, everybody was kind of tapping into the same um, collective unconscious. And and like you said before, is it genetic? Is it mystical? Whatever. It almost doesn't matter. Like it just matters that it's uh, there and people uh tap into it so if we try to consciously tap into it it's not going to be um quite the same um so do you think this is something that most people uh your average american got because i think there there are there are some countries that are like more psychologically integrated than others or i don't know maybe but like which i think murakami had said right murakami said there's a national character uh yeah but also uh young kind of believed that too like young was mm -hmm. somebody who got a lot of this stuff um from the west a lot of it is in uh buddhism like a lot of it is he was big into eastern uh religions and he used a lot of it to inform uh his final philosophy and he would actually criticize what he called west 
Western man a lot. And he would say that uh, Western man was more poorly um, integrated. Now, was it uh, a, a type of fetishism where, you, you know, a lot of people always think, you know, hippies always think, oh, uh, Eastern philosophy is where it's at. You know, mm. we're so materialistic. But Young was like the first person to kind of really, uh, the first heavy duty intellectual that kind of really uh, formalized that idea. I'll be honest. Yeah. Uh, I think that's an easy out these days. I, I would say as I'm, 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 uh, I'm Chinese and I do think it could be my own, you know, sense of fetishization or whatever, because I was born here or whatever. But I, yeah. I do think that actually there is a more, I have to say, the, 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 what you would consider uh, Chinese culture now, um, broadly speaking, I think it is more integrated <laughs> than, yeah. than Americans. I'm not saying, I don't want to say, but it's not racial. And it, is, it does seem to go by country. And I would say that, I would say that Americans compare, are relatively not so integrated. I would, I would agree. I mean, I think that's kind of what, um, I think um, Americans, particularly like uh, white Americans, I think they have a habit of almost trying to use other races to complete their integration for them okay. um like i feel like they think of like um black people as like their soul like you know like that's why uh they always say like we have soul like you know they think that we can just dance naturally that we have spontaneous expression uh, and then there's in in old fiction the inscrutable uh chinese wise man mm -hmm. you know and he has a certain type of wisdom that the white man lost like like if you look at how white people in the fiction posit other um races a lot of these races have something that uh the white person lost and if they mm. travel to where they are if this white man goes to this eastern land you know like doctors yeah. like, like doctor strange Shit, going, even batman yeah 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 batman goes goes yeah. to the east you know yeah. like I, I think they themselves kind of believe themselves to lack um a certain in integration uh right. that's built into their own own uh yeah well i guess what i'm saying is it's it it it, it um in, there, it's kind of ridiculous, but I think that there is some truth to it. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like I think I think right now it's not so you know that's considered orientalization or fetishization or condescension. And yes, that there definitely a lot of it is so stupid that you know. But in some way, I kind of feel like they that that it's it is kind of true. There are things that well, I think white Americans can learn from. Well, well I think I think the Orientalism or the problem the magical Negro stuff. I think what happens it's not the problem that that they think. I think what makes it problematic is that they kind of see the foreign cultures as not really full people. They kind of see them as just um kind of like one of two things: superhuman, like like they're like uh it's like it's like yeah. I, it's kind of reminds me of those uh kung fu movies where like each one of them represents like oh he represents um wind <laughs> and this guy represents like you know fire yeah this guy represents whatever and and we're all sort of elements or elemental ingredients of something uh that can be mixed into some better better uh products if it's all sort of integrated through white uh cultural sampling and and uh something like that yeah they they, they they dehumanize us in like two ways they make us uh non-white people they make us non-white people either into like monsters monstrosities mm. or like spirits and magical helpers so, so you eat like a, mm -hmm. you're, you're kind of like a fairy godmother or a wise uh, yeah. sage or whatever or you're some kind of uh disgusting like brute but 
Yeah, but on humanity is only kind of like reserved for them. Like, oh, like, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like you're a fragment of some kind of discarded humanity. Yeah, of yeah. their own. So I think that's kind of the problem. Like, like they feel like we have things that they're missing, mm -hmm. right? But we're still not complete in in our in of ourselves. Like those traits of ours that's missing in them. When they take them in from us, they will produce the perfect integrated human in the way that we're never going to use those gifts to their full capacity because we don't have oh well and that's that's uh, completely consistent i think with america because america is imperial yeah and america you know that's the job of the empire right is to sort of take the best of everything and integrate it into this you know even more amazing thing of empire yeah, exactly. And, and and you're not using your gifts well enough on your own because you don't have that white Western ingenuity. Like, for example, even with Asians, when they admit that uh, Asian people have higher IQs, they'll make the excuse. But you know what? They don't have that flexible thinking. They have a, mm -hmm. a rigid rote memorization style. So, yeah, they have higher IQs. But if you take their good parts, but mix it with uh, the white ingenuity and cleverness and frontier spirit, you know, then you're going to um get the intelligence maximized so yeah they always find a, a reason why all these displaced aspects of themselves and other people aren't getting used to the full extent in those other people like you know like, like for example uh they'll say for rappers or dancers oh they're just using the natural talent those black people but um put rap in the hands of an eminem and he can transcend mm -hmm. um anything that the black rappers can do because he can uh you know take it to an intellectual level using that white um yeah iq or whatever all right, people, so that is the preview. If you are interested, you like that, you want to hear more, go to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. Check the link in the show notes also if you want to see how to get to Patreon and subscribe and hear the rest of the episode. There's a link to the full episode in the show notes to this. So, yeah, check it out. Thanks.